Okay, so Isaiah 66, beginning today. We will probably take two sessions for this because it's, it's really too much for one session. Maybe not enough for two, but we'll get out a little bit early. It's no big deal. All right, so as we draw to the close, we need to remember Isaiah in 63 and 64. He made a long, penitent prayer to Yahweh. He confessed the sins, and he came with a contrite and humble heart, and the Lord promises to hear those who come to him with a contrite and humble heart. So he prays in the end of 63 and all through 64, confessing their sins, and then in chapter 65 through 66, we have God's response to Isaiah's prayer. God promises blessings for the penitent ones. He divides the people into two groups, as he always does. God does make a separation between the wicked and the righteous. He, he divides them into two groups, those that seek the Lord and those who forsake the Lord in Isaiah 65. And he states that he does have a remnant and... In verses 11 and 12, he shows what the curses are of those who forsake the Lord. Basically, they have no future. The wicked may live nicely right now, but they have no future. And they, they would worship any foreign god they could find, including fortune and destiny. And therefore, God says, you're destined to the sword. Okay, and we ended up with this statement from Raymond Ortland, and I'm going to repeat this. When Isaiah's people rejected God, they didn't become non-religious. They were very religious. But they were following their own thoughts, their own ideas and intuitions, intuitions which were pagan. And in Romans 1, it describes these people as forsaking God and worshiping the creation instead of the creature. So that's where we ended in chapter 65. Uh, <clears throat> at verse 16. So we will start... Well, we, end, we ended up <clears throat> reading the whole chapter. So we're ready for chapter 66 today. Chapter, the end of 65 introduces the new heavens and the new earth. And that will be, Isaiah will speak again of the new heavens and the new earth in chapter 66. Now remember the new heavens and the new earth. When was the new heavens and the new earth inaugurated? What started the new heavens and the new earth? What event? Come on, we all know that, don't we? <laughs> he said. Huh? That's what he said. Christ's resurrection. Oh, yeah, Okay. The resurrection of Jesus Christ introduces the new heavens and the new earth. And when will they be consummated? When he returns. When he returns. So from the time of his resurrection to the time he returns is the new heavens and the new earth which is consummated when he returns and we, when we are resurrected. 
Remember, Christ is the first fruits. He was the first to rise from the dead. And we are taught in, in the Word of God, especially 1 Corinthians 15, that He's the first fruits and we will follow. The first fruits of His resurrection and the resurrection of the, of the rest of the harvest, the resurrection of the rest of the harvest, will be brought in on, at the return of Christ when every man is raised from the dead. Every person that ever lived will be raised from the dead and be held accountable before God. Now, our resurrection will be much different from the resurrection of the wicked because Christ says, He who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has, uh, shall not come into judgment. So we don't come into judgment. We will be openly acknowledged and acquitted on the day of judgment and we will be rewarded but the wicked their shame will be exposed so we're between the time of his resurrection and the time that we will be raised from the dead okay any questions on anything so far okay uh, verses 1 through 4 now in Isaiah 66. Laura, we will start back there with you today. Okay. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. You could build me a temple as good as that. Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both heaven and earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. But those who choose their own ways, delighting in their detestable sins, will not have their offerings accepted. When such people sacrifice a bull, it is no more acceptable than a human sacrifice. When they sacrifice a lamb, it's as though they had sacrificed a dog. When they bring an offering of grain, they might as well offer the blood of a pig. When they burn frankincense, it's as if they had blessed an idol. I will send them great trouble, all the things they feared. For when I called, they did not answer. When I spoke, they did not listen. They deliberately sinned before, before my very eyes and chose to do what they know I despise. Okay. All right, that was a uh, paraphrase of this. Elaine, you have the ESV, right? No, I'm sorry, I don't. Yeah, okay. no, that's the old Pew Bible. Okay, well, that, that's good. Read verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand has made and all those things exist says the Lord, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of, con of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Okay, so we have a literal translation and a free translation on that. Alright, now, in your notes, Isaiah points out that the Jews, that points out the Jews' wrong attitude toward the temple. It appears 
that they had turned the temple into an object of worship itself. All right, so in these verses, we're going to look about look at two things. We're going to look at proper worship, and we're going to learn that we're going to have to prepare for persecution. We need to worship properly and be prepared for persecution. So the first thing that's pointed out is the Jews are not worshiping properly. They have a wrong attitude toward the temple. And they were turning the temple into an object of worship. And then God tells them in these first two verses that he doesn't dwell there, that he's not confined to any temple. Um, Kim, look up for us, please. Um, Acts 17.24. Okay, so he doesn't dwell in temples. Therefore, they will not succeed in meeting with him there. They will not succeed in meeting him there. Acts 17.24, please. God that made the world and all things that are therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Okay. And the next verse too, please. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Okay. Now, God is in the temple. That is his appointed special place of worship is in the temple tabernacle in the Old Testament. But he is not confined to the temple. So he doesn't necessarily dwell there, although that is the appointed meeting place between him and his people. Therefore, because of their bad attitude, they will not succeed in meeting him there. He only meets with those who have the right attitude. He is looking for spiritual worship and not pure ritual. Now, there's nothing wrong with ritual. We see it, a lot of ritual in the Old Testament. But that's not enough. You've got to come for spiritual worship using the ritual that God has appointed you. And we still need ritual to a certain extent today. That's why we have a a bulletin that we hand out because we have a what we believe is the appointed way of worship from God. But it doesn't do you any good if you don't come with the right attitude. And according to God, according to Isaiah and 66, 1 and 2, worshipers must be humble. They must be contrite. And they must fear God properly by trembling at his word. This is the one whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Those are the ones he looks. I'll ask you a question. You don't have to answer it yes or no out loud, but do answer it. <laughs> Do you tremble at God's word? When you come into the sanctuary, okay, let's see. First of all, Bud, will you look up for us Habakkuk 220? Habakkuk 
Father Don. Habakkuk, I tell you what, I'll read Habakkuk 2.20 um, because I've been looking that up a few times and I still have a hard time finding it. But you look up Psalm 51, 16 and 17. See if I can find Habakkuk. I got it. All right, 2.20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. All right, Habakkuk says that the Lord is in his holy temple. And in effect, be quiet. So, it's what I'm getting at. God says that these are the people that he looks on. He looks on those who come to him in worship with a contrite and humble heart. Those who tremble at his word. Those who be quiet and listen to him speak. And I would say that looking at these verses that we've had read, that if you or I or anyone else comes into that sanctuary and they don't have the attitude of being humble and contrite, and they don't have the attitude that they're going to tremble at God's word, then God's not going to meet with you. You're wasting your time. Because God says, these are the people who I look on, those who have a contrite and humble spirit and tremble at my word. So I would suggest, as your elder, to me, to me and you, that we spend time before we come to church thinking about these things. And even while the prelude is being played before church, that we don't use that time for chit-chat. We can do that at other times. But we get ourselves ready. We get ourselves ready to worship God. Pray that you're going to tremble at His Word. And that you truly have a contrite and humble spirit where you're not wasting your time. I was in a, the church that Dana and I went to, first of all, when we were married. It was a Methodist church in Athens. <clears throat> Nothing good ever comes out of Athens, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but we were, and, and the organist was playing the, play, playing the prelude. And he gets up in the middle of it and starts walking down the aisle. He says, y'all need to be quiet. You need to get being prepared for worship. And this was the organist. It wasn't the pastor. This was the organist. And that has stuck with me. And that was 40-something years ago. And we need to make sure we're ready to meet with God that we're not wasting our time. We need to be a congregation that God looks at and that God blesses because he tells us in Isaiah 66, if you're not doing these things, you're wasting your time. Steve Christensen sends me the titles of prelude, offertory, and postlude every week. We have the space, I put them in there. And sometimes the titles are enough put our minds in the right place to give us, give us something to be thinking about. And yeah. sometimes I have space for scripture verse following that. Um, but those things could be used during that time, like you're saying, for us to, to quiet ourselves right. to come before God. Yeah. Yeah, every church I've ever been in, there's always been some kind of issue with that. I mean, there are people that you haven't seen all week, you want to talk to them, and all that, but um, yeah. 
People have to be reminded yeah. of it. Yeah, they've all been guilty. I know I've been guilty. And uh, this is just a kind of little, little wake-up reminder here. And Steve Christensen uh, carefully selects yeah. those preludes. He plays some fantastic stuff. And um, yeah. it's good stuff to get you in the right frame of mind to worship. It always kind of bothered me. I wasn't that I was in a whole lot of different churches. I don't that I saw it, but uh, a couple of them that we had visited vacation with Marsha's family down in Georgia, they'd have this about time the pastor stepped up to say something, he would ask everybody to stand up and turn around and shake your neighbor's hand. And that that's the most distractive thing that, you, that I ever heard of. Worse than that, when they do it in the middle of the service. Yeah. We've been yeah. in situations like that. <clears throat> yeah. But I, I always liked what we do here with when it comes to notices and all that. Put it after the service. Yeah. I've seen it in the beginning for 10 minutes, in the middle for five or 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we made that decision, I don't know, what, about 20 years ago? Yeah, that's Kim right. to, We used to have the announcements before the service. Yeah. And we thought that... <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> and we thought that time should be used for, <coughs> for what Isaiah says here. So now we have it at the end of the service. Because if you sit here and meditate and pray about that you're going to be in the right frame of mind, and then they get up there and make 10 minutes of announcements, you get out of that frame of mind. So, yeah. Well, it don't take just a second to say, Lord, help me to worship. Yeah. Uh, that'll make more difference, <clears throat> difference, I think, than a lot of other things you can do. Very say it from the heart, yes. <clears throat> the beginning of verse 2 for all these things hath my hand made. I couldn't help but think of God responding to Job. Where the heck were you? <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I got a few questions for you, Job. <laughs> right. We just need to remember who we're coming in the presence of. And I think that if we all do that, I wish everybody was here today. I'm going to re-mention this next week. But if we we all did that, I think it would make a big difference in God blessing us here in our worship service. This is the most important thing we do all week. You don't do anything more important than go in that sanctuary and worship God and hear His Word. That orients your whole life. If you're not doing that, you're out of kilter from the very beginning. One of the, I'll say, mentors of the creation study group. In fact, it was a, a weekend presentation by him at Furman that actually got creation study group officially off the ground. Was Dr. Walter Brown? And one of his, I'll say, introductory videos. <laughs> that dates us. Um, was the power and authority of God. It just to come to an understanding. We can't even comprehend him totally. Yeah. Yep, that's good.
Okay, anything else? All right, Psalm 51, 16 and 17 reiterates this, if you want to read that, bud. And then, Jill, if you'll look up for us, Psalm 34, 18. That was 51, what now? 16 and 17. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So that's what God loves to see in people, in his people, when they come to worship him. And Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. God hates pride. So we put all this together with Habakkuk 2.20. It seems that the best thing these people of Israel could do is just shut up and listen. God, let me tremble at your word. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Travis, if you could read the first three verses of that for us. Chapter 2? Yeah, Hebrews 2, verses 1 through 3. Okay. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding, and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. All right, two things in that passage. One is we must pay close attention to what we hear so that we don't drift away. This seems to indicate that if you don't come to church and you don't listen to the word read, preached, and taught, you are in grave danger of drifting away. And verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? You ever thought about what a great salvation this is? You came out of the womb shaking your fist at God. And just like me, just like everybody else that's ever been born, except for maybe John the Baptizer and Jesus Christ. And yet, he has loved you and sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins, to bring us out of the, to save us out of hell. So this is a great salvation. And when we meet here on Sunday morning, we are meeting to learn about this great salvation and to give God thanks for this great salvation that we have. And then if you look on over to Hebrews chapter 3, Verse 7, the author of Hebrews says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, when you come here, 
as long as you have a faithful teacher or a preacher, you're hearing the voice of God. And there is a danger that you're going to harden your heart. And God says, gives you a warning here. Be careful that you don't harden your heart. And then in verse 12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So when we come here to Sunday school or church, we are to be very careful, take care, that we listen closely, that we tend to our hearts, that we don't harden our hearts, and that there not be in any of us an evil and unbelieving heart leading us to fall away. In other words, I guess you might say you're in a danger zone. When you hear God's word coming at you, you need to make sure that you receive it in the right way and that you're ready. All right, that's all I'm going to say on those two verses. Anybody have anything to add? All right, verses 3. Verse 3, which says, He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb, like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering, like one who offers a pig's blood. And he who makes a memorial offering of frankincense, like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways, and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them, and bring their fears upon them, because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. So in verse 3, in your notes, we learn that their worship is actually an abomination to Yahweh. They meet at the temple to worship, and Yahweh says, it is an abomination to me. Now, these things that Yahweh says they're doing, uh, slaughtering an ox, Sacrificing a lamb, presenting a grain offering, um, and a memorial offering of frankincense. These are all prescribed in this word. There's nothing wrong in and of themselves of them doing that because those are all prescribed in Exodus and Leviticus. So the problem is their attitude. Their heart attitude turns these good things into abominations to God. And the last part of this verse shows that they mix a little of their own devices. They mix their own devices with God's prescription for worship. And this makes them no better than the Gentiles. They had a bad attitude, and they were devoted to the things that God hated, and therefore God will treat them harshly and bring their worst fears upon them. They said, we're going to do it our way. We're going to give lip service to God. God says, okay, I'm going to bring your worst fears upon you because you're an abomination to me. Okay. Um, we can go verses 5 through 11. And Laura, will you read 5 through 
eight fourths. No, five through nine fourths. Yeah. Okay. Hear this message from the Lord, all ye who tremble at his words. Your own people hate and throw you out for being loyal to my name. Let the Lord be honored. They scoff. Be joyful in him, but they will put him to shame. What is all the commotion in the city? What is that terrible noise from the temple? It is the voice of the Lord, making vengeance against his enemies. Before the birth pains even begin, Jerusalem gives birth to a son. Who has ever seen anything as strange as this? Who ever heard of such a thing? Has a nation ever been born in a single day? Has a country ever come forth in a mere moment? But by the time Jerusalem, Jerusalem's birth pains begin, her children will be born. Would I ever bring this nation to the point of birth and then not deliver it? Ask the Lord. No, I would never keep this nation from being born, says your God. Okay. Now, um, this teaches that God's true worshipers are per persecuted. Are excuse me. The true worshipers are persecuted, but God will do these things. Now, we, you know, if you're going to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus, if you're going to do things God's way instead of the world's way, you will be persecuted. Kim, if you look up for us, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verses 18 through 21, and Elaine, Matthew 5, 10, and 11. And go ahead and read that when you get to it. John 15, 18. If the world hates you, you know that he hated me before you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, The servant is not greater than his master. If they have persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they have kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they have not known him that sent me. Okay, here we have a promise of persecution. This is one of those promises you'll never read about in the little Bible promise book that you see on the shelf <laughs> in your local Christian bookstore. Um, remember, God makes a separation between the righteous and the wicked. And then he says here in 66.5, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Those would be the righteous. Your brothers who hate you, and cast you out for my name's sake, have said, let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. So we will always have the seed of the serpent persecuting the seed of the woman. Isaiah says it's going to be like this with the people of Israel when they return, or when they're yeah, you know, when they return from the exile. And Jesus says it's going to be the same for God's people in the new covenant times, in the new heavens and the new earth. The world will hate you. The world has hated me. The world will hate you. 
And if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. However, this is a blessed state. So we'll have Matthew 5, 10, and 11 read. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Okay. So God's true work worshipers are persecuted. But just as God is going to tell them in Isaiah 66, you have a blessing ahead of you. You may be downtrodden now. You may be undergoing persecution, but your future is bright. And those who persecute you have no future. So stay the course, fight the good fight. That's what they're being told. And I'm going to have to stop it there, and we will finish up this next week. Anybody have anything to add? Okay, Mike, will you close us in prayer, please? Father in heaven, we 